0: Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we're going to take a first look at Neon Dynasty. This is before I've had an opportunity to play with the set. Uh, it won't be available for drafting or, as far as I know, in paper um, in any capacity until later this week. I haven't tried to do any simulated drafts or anything. So all of this is just based uh, studying the card list, looking at some spreadsheets. So. Take everything I say here with a grain of salt. Also, I'm not going to be going really deep into any archetype because I'm not going to know detailed stuff. This is all going to be a big picture overview that's going to touch on all the color combinations to try to give you a sense of what things you should be looking for and thinking about as you go into your first drafts later this week. There are notes available for people who want to follow along on patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and let's get into it my big picture impressions from looking over this set are that most of the archetypes follow really clear heavy themes the a lot of the archetypes are really really explicit about like you know blue red says play artifacts and green white says play enchantments and red white says play samurais and you can basically, um, you know, blue-black is like play ninjas. You can both basically just like look at the cards, see which cards have that attribute, and there's a very good chance that that card wants to be in the deck that's asking for that attribute and doesn't want to be in decks that aren't asking for that attribute, which theoretically would make the draft format really, really simple and could give kind of like an on-rails feel once you figured out your color combination. But... I would say the designers did a pretty good job of throwing some twists and curveballs in extremely high density by creating themes such that almost every card is explicitly part of more than one theme. So you might have a samurai that is also an enchantment or is a warrior. The warriors and samurais are kind of interchangeable. You might have like a warrior that's an artifact or Almost any card uh, will work very clearly in more than one of these archetypes. So that means that there are just a lot of opportunity for pivots in the draft, uh, where you might take a couple of cards, you might try to straddle between two archetypes where you take cards that could fit in both for a while. And there also might be interesting decks that um, are three colors, and use overlapping cards with synergies in multiple of the pairs that exist in those three colors. And so you might get some kind of like discovered synergies between cards that share like weird three color combo synergies. That is also more likely in this set because the fixing is very good. Uh, we have 10 common dual lands plus a five color dual land, which puts us in a space pretty similar to. Kaldheim, where I personally was playing more than two colors very often, obviously more than just the lands matter, uh, Kaldheim had some pretty good five color fixing spells. Neon Dynasty also has a non-zero amount of that. So I do anticipate that if you're trying to play multicolor, uh, you'll be able to. That said, I don't know how often you'll want to or whether the incentives will push that way, because all the cards are so linear and all the th- there are so many linear themes that it's very easy that like a lot of the cards won't want to be played together. such that if you are playing like five color stuff, a lot of the like linear stuff won't make any sense in your deck. That said, there might be just like a five color kind of like theme neutral, good rate removal type deck or something. I'm optimistic about that existing. It's something that I'll probably have fun discovering and playing. But for the most part, uh, the cards are going to give you a pretty clear direction and they're going to want to be played with other cards that have some specifically called out elements that they would like to share with most of the other cards in your deck. Another thing that that means is that uh, you might have like three white cards. It's possible that those three white cards have a really heavy implication about what your second color is because, you know, all the white enchantments theoretically want to be played with green, so that you have the white green enchantment theme or black, where you have a enchantment and artifact together theme. The specific cards that you have, might fit way better in those archetypes than they do in, say, white, blue, or white, red. And this is usually true in that, you know, there are some archetypes that are more aggressive, some that are more controlling. And if you start out with an aggressive color or an aggressive card, you might know that you're going to want to be in the more aggressive color. But I think it's going to be, that pressure is going to be a lot stronger and the cards are going to be a lot more narrow. I think of the cards in this set as kind of like half gold in that they don't have a single other card they need to work with. It's not like your white card requires red mana and it can only be played in white red. But I think a lot of them are going to work way better in about two of the possible archetypes than the other two of the possible archetypes in a way that's like pretty clear and explicit. So while you're navigating the draft, before you have two colors of cards, or even while you have multiple colors of cards, it's going to be pretty tricky to figure out like how much weight you have pulling you in the direction of every color, because you can't just glance at the color of your cards and know. You have to think about, like, okay, how strong is each of these cards in all the possible archetypes I could go into? Which cards would I... Most likely give up because they don't have a place. Which cards would I play, but maybe they'd be a little weaker? Which cards would be at their strongest, depending on all the different colors and like archetypes within those colors that I could go into? So I think that this set is going to play a little bit more like Ravnica than you might think for a set that only has one cycle of gold uncommons because. All of these, all the cards are in this weird half gold space. And also there's a lot of fixing, which is another trait of Ravnica. So while this set doesn't in any way resemble like a gold set on its surface, I think there's a good chance it'll play a lot more like a gold set than you would expect. That is basically my take on the like overall Uh, structure and incentives before getting into each of the archetypes individually when I just try to think about the set holistically that's what jumps out at me so let's go over uh, each of the archetypes pretty quickly trying to go a little bit deeper than just like oh blue red is artifacts but not a whole lot deeper Uh, you'll see so blue white is theoretically like the vehicle deck I think but I think that there's not sufficient density of that, that like all of your stuff is going to be vehicles and stuff that explicitly works with vehicles, which means that this is one of the slightly like more open-ended or like archetypes with least the least clear incentives. I'm also like not overly impressed on the surface, at least with the strength of the vehicles. I'm personally not very excited about blue white. It looks like the synergies that exist are pretty weak and I don't know what you're getting to make up for that. There's some potential synergies with like blinking and bouncing and ETB stuff that's mostly in blue, but there's like the one white trick that can Like put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature or vehicle or return a permanent you control to your hand. And then there's the blue like flicker that gives a plus one, plus one counter. And those things are a little bit better than they often would be because uh, a lot of cards that have triggers that would often say when this dies in this format, say when this leaves play. So you can get the leaves play trigger on a blink. So for example, uh, there's like a two-mana, two-one common artifact that you can spend mana to draw a card when it leaves play rather than when it dies. Um, uh, an uncommon three-mana version that like draws a card when it leaves play and gains life when it enters play. And that kind of card is really good to like bounce your blink. So it has synergies with ninjas that you can pick up in blue-white as well as synergies with flicker and uh, bounce your own stuff and um, all of that. Also, creatures that have entered the battlefield abilities but aren't very good at combat are strong in a vehicle deck because the vehicles want you to have random creatures that don't serve much purpose lying around. So the blue-white deck, in addition to vehicles, kind of implicitly also cares about value creatures and potentially reusing those value creatures. That goes a little bit deeper into some stuff you should be looking for in blue-white if you're struggling to figure out what you should be trying to pick when there's not, like, a vehicle or a pilot in the pack. I would say look for value creatures and some kind of, like, blink or recur your value-type stuff. Uh, but for the most part, I think the synergies here are a little weak. And you can also do a generic skies thing, and you can pair ninjas with the generic skies thing, and ninjas can let you replay your, like value stuff but again it's going to be i'm not super optimistic about this like pair as a whole white black is about a push to balance artifacts enchantments and then cards that offer you some specific reward for controlling an artifact and or uh and enchantment and then those cards are themselves usually not artifacts or enchantments so there's going to be this like a tricky balancing act in terms of like having enough cards that want you to have the artifacts and enchantments and having the artifacts and having the enchantments and so i think of this as it's kind of like drafting party where you're trying to balance these different buckets it's only 3 buckets instead of 4 so it's a little simpler but the draft where most of the archetypes are choose a thing and collect all of it this is balance your buckets and that means that you are looking to use a wider range of cards than most of the other archetypes, but you have this other thing that you need to be thinking about while you're drafting where you're balancing stuff. So that deck should feel a little bit different than the rest of the format in a way that I think will be pretty fun and refreshing to draft. And I like that there is you know, some explicit synergy where you're uh, getting extra value for jumping through those ho- hoops to be found there. So that's that's going on with white black white red there are a bunch of samurais and warriors that reward you for attacking with a single samurai or warrior so this is going to play similarly to exalted for people who have played with m13 or alara you have to have been playing for a long time i suspect at this point to have played much with exalted and limited but that was a mechanic that encouraged attacking with a single creature and your other creatures would make that creature attack better, very similar to what's going on with White Red here, except that in White Red, to get the benefit, you have to attack with a Samurai or Warrior. So if you have a bunch of cards that are stacking bonuses on every time you attack with a Samurai or Warrior, those cards are all gonna be pretty bad, when you're not taking advantage of that, which is anytime you're attacking with multiple creatures or anytime the one creature you're attacking with isn't a samurai or warrior. What this means is that as long as you have a bunch of samurai and warriors, your other creatures might as well be defenders. Like they're not going to attack well, but your like fairly aggressive deck isn't that likely to want a bunch of defenders, which means that I think that White Red is going to want a lower creature count and higher other stuff count than decks that are aggressive on their surface usually do. This means that white red is going to prioritize removal a little bit more highly than white red usually does, and this fact means that white red is probably going to be a little bit less aggressive than it usually is even though it has a mechanic that's entirely about attacking, you're likely not going to be purely racing. You're going to be getting value on your one attacking creature and playing a bit of a control game to have time to grind them out with your attacking bonuses. Also, all of the equipment creatures that have reconfigure will play well here, even though they are not, or even when they are not Samurais and Warriors, because they can still, if you spend mana, Participate in the attack that you're making, and they'll help you with having a sufficient creature density if you're not seeing enough samurais and warriors to get to the creature camp that you're going to feel comfortable with. The fact that this archetype is a little bit more controlling than a, a white red deck that incentivize atta- incentivizes attacking white looks means that, like, the six mana spell that makes three, two, two vigilance samurais and scries three. Uh, is going to be a little bit more at home than it usually would be in a white-red deck. Also, the six-mana haste 5-4 that um, you can channel to play as a plus-three, plus-one trick is another great way to have a like an extra creature that's not part of your samurai thing that plays well with the samurai thing and also gives you a strong late game if your samurai thing can't get there. So I think white-red is going to be in a space where you're going to want to have some of these late-game options, and again, you're going to be a little bit more mid range than you might expect out of a White-Red Attacking Triggers deck. White-Green, it looks to me like this is an Enchantment Matters deck, and it looks to me like there is sufficient su- support and incentives to play really close to exclusively enchantments. You'll play a few spells that aren't enchantments, probably. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, every now and then you'll play some really, really strong creature or something that's not an enchantment, but it will not surprise me to see decks that are where like every permanent in your deck is an enchantment. I'm personally really into the Commune with whatever, the green one mana common, that Commune with Spirits that looks at four cards for an enchantment or land and puts it into your hand. I think that that's really powerful draw smoothing and fixing and a super good impulse. It's not going to be hard to have a deck where you're looking at four cards and you can choose any of three or all four of them to put in your hand. For one mana, that's really, really strong. I think that because a significant portion of the enchantments that are available are sagas, and sagas want time to generate value, I think that that'll kind of lead to white green being on the less aggressive end. You are, you know, still white green, um, which is often, you know, just in magic a little bit more aggressive. I think that white green is still going to end up being kind of a mid-range archetype here in terms of like in in context. I think that defensive cards are going to play uh, relatively well. You're going to be getting some value and going a little bigger than the more aggressive decks. That's what I got on white green, blue, black, ninjas as an archetype, uh, just across formats really appreciate having a low curve with a lot of evasive creatures and a lot of removal. I have no reason to believe that that'll be different in this format. I think you want your creatures to be a combination of ninjas and creatures that have any sort of evasion especially if they also have some kind of enters the battlefield or leaves the battlefield ability and then you're going to want like removal and tap your opponent's stuff type tricks to get your ninjas through after you've played them i think that this will be like if you've played uh modern horizons one and drafted ninjas in that format I think that it'll play very, very similarly here to how it plays in that format, probably a little less powerful because it's not Modern Horizons, but the incentives should all be about the same. Uh, Blue Red. This is similar to White Green, but it's looking for artifacts instead of looking for enchantments. Looking for artifacts rather than enchantments means that you're not playing sagas, so you don't have the built-in incentive to play a longer game that sagas create. On the other hand, you're playing blue. which means you have some built-in card draw. There's a decent amount of like value to be generated by moving artifacts between zones in blue and red. This is another archetype where I think almost all your permanents and a significant portion of your spell effects will be on cards that are artifacts. You'll play a few non-artifact spells. Most of the spells that you play that aren't artifacts will have the word artifact on them somewhere. This is going to be a very heavy linear theme most of the time. I think that there's going to be a decent variety in blue-red decks that are trying to play a large game and versus playing a small game, where the small game blue-red decks are probably a little bit more aggressive or playing a little bit more removal and maybe just like more removal and card advantage stuff, whereas the large game stuff is leaning more into kind of an affinity space where you just want to have a lot of artifacts in play at the same time. Blue-green... This is another relatively low explicit synergy deck. There's a lot of like ramp and fixing. This color is likely going to splash most of the time. And because there's a lot of like ramp available to you, you want to play a lot of expensive cards, especially because a lot of the expensive cards available have channel, so they let you do something. If your hand's full of seven drops, you'll be able to get an effect out of most of them by channeling them. So you won't get as punished as you would normally get for filling your deck with expensive stuff. And if you do fill your deck with expensive stuff, once you get to the late game, you'll kind of be able to just like drop bomb after bomb on your opponent. And so this could have kind of like an Eldrazi type feel where, um yeah, you're, you're just, you know, ramping up to doing a lot of big stuff and then your big stuff has kind of like a fail-safe mode to keep you alive to play your big stuff, but mostly this is more of a dedicated ramp deck than we often see. Black-red. In general, the, the enchantments are in green and white, and the artifacts are in black and red. There are artifacts in green and white in small numbers. There are enchantments in the Grixis colors in small numbers, but if you're a Grixis pair, you're likely caring about artifacts. If you're white green you're likely caring about an enchantment and if you are combining those you might be looking to mix it up or not care about them red black cares about artifacts it looks like it's generally going to be more aggressive than uh, blue red and it's often going to be trying to do trying to sacrifice artifacts specifically and i think that because it is sacrificing artifacts playing more removal playing a smaller game less looking to have critical massive artifacts on the battlefield, that also means that it is a little bit easier to play some just good cards that aren't artifacts in your deck. So there's more pressure to be mono artifacts in blue-red, more pressure to just play good and aggressive cards with some lighter artifact synergies in red-black. Black-green, this is another like relatively soft theme deck that can uh, bridge a lot of synergies has uh you know it has like some amount of enchantment synergies it can take advantage of but it's also pretty well positioned to share white blacks both enchantments and artifacts matter have both of them together stuff well there's a common mondo combo of geothermal kami plus twisted embrace in black green Twisted Embrace is an aura that kills something when you play it. Geothermal Kami is a creature that returns an enchantment to your hand uh, to gain life. And so if you play Twisted Embrace and kill something, you can buy back your uh, removal spell with the Geothermal Kami. The more of both of those you have, uh, the better, although they both cost four mana. So can be a little clunky, but that's kind of the sort of powerful late game engine that green black can get up to here you can also use the green three mana instant that returns an enchantment and a creature from your graveyard to your hand to like buy back removal enchantments and stuff so some synergies some flexibility certainly more uh, controlling than a lot of the other pairs in this set Red-green, this is the modified creatures pair. I think that there's pressure here to have a low curve. You get more value out of suiting up a small creature than a big creature. Uh, Just a larger percent of the creature increases and you have more time to take advantage of your stuff and you're more likely to have a creature in play on a turn where you want to play a thing that augments a creature. So this is going to be on the low curve side for red green but because it's going tall rather than wide it's still going to ultimately have the effect of having big creatures in a way you would expect from red green but this is going to be low curve and i suspect one of the more aggressive pairs in the format because of that you know low curve pump up my guys and attack uh space the longer you have a bunch of things that you've invested in putting cards on one creature, the more time you're giving your opponent to have a removal spell to answer that creature, better to just kill them when you make a big creature for relatively little mana uh, by combining multiple cards. So those are the quick hits on all the archetypes. So looking over those, I think blue-white, white-red, blue-black, blue-red, red-black, and red-green all uh, kind of have... Some sort of like default aggro strategy or mechanics that reward or encourage attacking in some way. Blue red is a little bit arguable there, but red, I mean, blue has some good, cheap, evasive artifacts. Red has, and like vehicles are generally aggressive, and red and red is just kind of category, categorically pretty aggressive in this set. So I think that those six archetypes are going to lean aggressive. As I mentioned, white red is maybe on the more controlling end of those six pairs. White green, a little more flexible, a little bit more midrange, a little slower, but still more likely not like a really controlling deck. And then I think that blue green, black green, and white black are going to kind of be the de facto control decks in the format. Blue red will be able to be controlling, but most of the time I think it's going to be aggressive. And that is, that's what I got. Those are my first impressions of format. So going to... Turn it over to Twitch chat for some discussion and questions here. So anyone who's around, feel free to ask any questions, especially any questions, even if you've already asked them, if you feel I haven't touched on them, now would be a great time to put them in chat. While I'm letting people get those questions in, I want to thank my new patrons for the last couple of weeks since I didn't uh, have a structured podcast with notes in a while. So thank you to my newest patrons, Malcolm, Benjamin, John, and Randy, really appreciate the support. Also, I want to mention that I have added new benefits to Drafting Archetypes Patreon. Specifically, uh, every tier now offers different levels of discounted rates for coaching. So, if you are interested in getting some coaching as we go into a new format, want a jump start on figuring that out and getting, you know, a handle on it. Great time to reach out to me. And if that appeals to you, you will save money on any amount of coaching if you become a patron of the the podcast first. So check out the benefits at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes if any of that interests you or if you are otherwise interested in supporting the podcast. On to questions. First, do I feel many of the one drops are high picks to lead you into archetypes? Yes, I think that this uh, continues the recent trend of making one drops real cards in limited. I don't know that the one drops are all necessarily like strong pulls to a certain deck. For example, the like 1 1 flying samurai in white that can tap something for four mana, I think is like strong, but pretty flexible. I think that, you know, if you don't have like a good uncommon or rare, you can take that and then like your white and wait for something else to give you a uh, more clear direction. But I mean, I, I do think that the a lot of the one drops are strong and should be prioritized. And then the follow up, there are a lot of them. Will that like decrease their value? I don't think so. I mean, like what we've seen in the most recent sets with like Lantern Bearer and Minister of Hope, even though there were one drops, I just wanted a lot of them. I think that rate just matters and a good one drop is a good card and if the card is good enough you're not really going to get punished for playing more of them. Obviously you need to make sure that your deck isn't on the whole too low impact but that's pretty easy to avoid while still prioritizing the good one drops. Next question, how do I feel about the blue artifact that taps for mana aka Mox Jespera? I am not very high on it. Gispera Sentinel was valuable both because the one mana creature was a good target for equipment and reach was actually pretty important. And more importantly, Gispera Sentinel gave you mana of any color, so it fixed and let you splash pretty well. The blue artifact here taps for colorless. So it's really only useful for like ramping and not for fixing. And fixing is far, far more powerful. I think that there may be some like particularly blue green decks that want to use it since they're likely to have enough mana to use the more powerful spell side of it and also interested in ramping. But I think the card is like overall pretty weak and narrow. Next question. I've noticed there doesn't seem to be a lot of filtering and card draw in this set compared to the previous ones. Is that something I have senses as well? How does that affect draft in this set? That was not my perception. I think that there are a reasonable number of cards that like scry or draw and discard. There's like the 3-3 flyer that draws a card and discards a card. Uh, there's the ninja that after it hits the first time, draws and discards. I guess most of it's blue, but you know, there there is a good amount of it in blue. Then in green, there's the like super ponder type effect that I already, already talked about. And then, like red has less like filtering, but has uh, like the one mana artifact that like exiles stuff to let you play, and can do that both when you play it and it leaves. That functions is pretty good mana sync. So I don't know. I I think that this set has a pretty good amount of smoothing in various ways. I'm not really worried about it standing out as having a small amount of that. Next up, I think the blue-green turtle with double channel looks like one of the best cards in the set, what are my thoughts? That is very possible. Seven is a lot of mana, and by the time you have seven mana, ward two isn't likely to protect you from things all that much. And then the like buyout modes are nice to have, but neither of them is like super powerful to actually do. I think the card is good, but I suspect that I'm going to consider it a little overrated. Like, obviously, there's a lot of power to having the amount of flexibility that that card offers, but it is an enchantment, I believe, which means that Fade of Antiquity is going to be a pretty good card since like almost every archetype specifically cares about artifacts or enchantments, so it'll almost never be dead. That's an example of like a pretty efficient answer to like the giant flyer. So I don't know. Um, I'm not sold that that's the best use of a lot of mana. I mean, I, I do think it's a strong card. I'm not saying that it's not good or you shouldn't play it. It just doesn't like stand out to me as like, oh yeah, this is the best like gold card or the best on common or something. Next question I mentioned that the set has the potential to be as multicolored as Kaldheim, uh, multicolored card Kaldheim. Anchored by Jasper Sentinel and Path of the World Tree, is there a card I see being the multicolor anchor in Neo? There's the common that searches for a land for two mana, so you get kind of like a weird main decked environmental sciences, which shouldn't be a very high pick in general, meaning that if you want it, you can likely get multiples and you can take advantage of the fact that it is an artifact in play. And do stuff with the object so that it's not strictly just like a two-mana lay of land. In fact, that that's coalist uh, to start fixing helps a lot. I haven't like fully studied like how good I think all the fixing options are and everything, but I also think that they're because of how linear the decks are and how I think that generally disincentivizes splashing, and also the fact that these lands aren't snow lands, so people aren't gobbling up the common lands to support their snow themes, means that the lands should generally go later, meaning that if you're trying to be a multicolored deck, it's going to be easier to get the lands. Like, I think very noticeably easier to get the lands than it was in the call time. And so I think that that means that the lands themselves are going to let you are going to support the player who's trying to be the multicolor deck a lot better than the lands in Kaldheim did. So there's less pressure on other spells to fix there. Any quick thoughts for pre-release? Not really. Nothing different from what I've talked about. I'm, I don't play a lot of sealed. As I said, a lot of cards in this format are like secret gold cards. When you find your deep, strong color, I think that likely your good cards are going to Fairly clearly indicate which second color you want. So I suspect that pools are going to be, are going to offer a lot of direction about possible builds and it should be pretty clear whether you can support like multiple colors or not. I I think the way that I would expect it to go, having looked at no sealed pools is that I think most pre-release pools are going to kind of like break down into like this is obviously my deck, or I could play like deck A or deck B rather than like, well, I'm sure that I'm white and I could play any secondary color. Cause like once you're sure that you're white, your white cards are just most likely going to be like, oh yeah, half of these all want the same second color and they get a lot stronger if I play that second color. We're coming off of a pair of graveyard sets in Innistrad. Should we calibrate our expectations for graveyard value going into this set? Or how should we calibrate our expectations for graveyard value going into this set? Well. The green-black uncommon is a very powerful Eternal Witness variant. And the green Season of Renewal, the instant common that gets back a creature and enchantment, looks pretty strong. And there are some red cards that like use artifacts from the graveyard and stuff. Obviously, the graveyard is going to matter less than it does in Innistrad, but there are still ways to take advantage of it if you are into using the graveyard. I certainly don't think that I'm going to be deeply invested in looping my deck in this set or anything but i guess it just wouldn't really be on my mind while i'm drafting i'm gonna i think that you're going to be focusing on uh doing the things the cards are telling you to do rather than like thinking about your memory of a different format where cards were asking you to do something else Next up, Ninjutsu seems like it has the potential to just have some runaway games. Yes, I agree. That is how Ninjutsu plays. Where does this set rank in terms of being able to splash colors? Very high. I think that if you're trying to splash, you will not have trouble doing it if you're willing to spend picks on lands. But I think that uh, most often you will not be trying to splash a lot because of how linear the archetypes are. Next up, this set contains an enormous amount of 2-2s, two mostly for two, but even three and four mana. Do I have any thoughts about that? I actually meant to kind of like do that size of creatures check and didn't get to it. Uh, I do think that there being a lot of two twos does matter in terms of it means that, you know, two threes are relatively good rather than relatively bad. So for example, the white uh, enchantment creature, 2-3 lifelinker, will play pretty well, will be a little stronger than it might be in some other formats, uh, assuming that it is true that uh, we're mostly looking at 2-2s. I do think that there are a lot of both 2-2s and 1-1s like the fact that there are a bunch of like playable one mana creatures that are one-ones in addition to like virus beetle and spirited companion at two mana. So I do think that this set is going to have more like really small creatures in play than you you often see. So like more one-ones and 2 twos lying around and that makes vehicles easier to use and better and also makes equipment easier to use and better. So I think that really while you're seeing a lot of 2 twos, I would suggest that what's really happening is there's just a wider band of size of creatures in this set than a lot of other sets where there are like one ones ones and two twos 2s and 2-3s you know, and 3-3s three and 3-4s, but it also scales up bigger than it often does both in terms of you know there are more like ramp decks that have really big creatures but also the incentive to like augment your creatures the fact that vehicles tend to be a little bit bigger than normal creatures especially for their cost means that we're just going to see a pretty wide disparity of uh creature sizes on the battlefield which i think means tricks that add like the small tricks are a little bit worse big tricks are a little bit better a big trick will allow you to turn a really useless creature will let you trade a really useless creature for a good creature or like eat a good creature whereas because there's a wider range plus one plus one is less likely to win a combat than it would be in a set with a smaller range of sizes next up what do i think the shrines they're disappointingly powerful i think that they're like They seem good enough individually on rate that it's likely worth like drafting and pushing them. I say disappointingly because I really just personally don't enjoy the like this card explicitly asked me to look for these four other cards style of drafting. I do think that they seem like stronger than shrines in a lot of the other sets with shrines. This next question, I don't know if I'm going to have an easy answer to it is it seems like there is. Tension along the big game, small game access. How does this impact how we should evaluate cards? The way that I think, it wouldn't factor very much into my evaluation of an individual card. It factors more into my evaluation of like what I'm looking for in a deck, where I just want to pay attention to, is this deck trying to be like big or small? Is this card going to help me do that or hurt doing that? I guess like, you know, when you're thinking about a card that's like asking you to be big, uh, like that kind of like affinity style dig through time type uncommon, you need to like pay attention to whether your artifacts and game plan lead to have accumulating a bunch of them in play at the same time. But I I don't know if I have like a good rule outside of like just give it a little bit of like pay a little bit of attention to it when you're thinking about like what your deck's gonna look like favorite common or uncommon in this set haven't thought about it in that way do ninja color decks play more tricks because it force block to prevent uh, potential ninjutsu well it's interesting yes tricks play well with ninjas because you know that your opponent's going to block but because you want your ninjas to connect with your opponent and because you're in blue and black Most of the time, you're going to use removal instead of using tricks because you'd rather just kill their creature and hit the opponent. So, And also, because you're blue-black, you just don't have that many tricks available. Now, there are a few ninjas outside of blue and black, and you can pay attention to, oh, I'm a deck that has tricks. That means the ninja in my color is going to be a little bit better because it'll encourage my opponent to block so I can use this trick. But I think that like, while you're totally right about ninjas having this kind of provoke style ability uh, because they, you know, at what they actually want is to connect with your opponent. It's better to just play removal. And you have the ability to do that because you're blue black. Is this a counterspell heavy format? So the counterspells that I can think of are the mirror shell crab, which is the huge artifact creature that you can channel to mana leak and the disruption protocol, which is the Counterspell that you have to uh, either tap an Artifact or spend an extra mana to cast. I'd say that both of those seem like totally playable to good cards. I guess there's like Spell Pierce. I don't think Spell Pierce is very good. I think Spell Pierce is generally more of a sideboard card. And it's particularly weak in this format because it doesn't interact with channel. Oh, there's also, uh, yeah, the uncommon counter a creature and put a plus one plus one counter on something. But uh, since that's uncommon, it has a little bit less of an impact. I I would say that this is a format with a normal amount of counterspells. Channel and ninjutsu are definitely both appreciable deterrents to counterspells. Counterspells are worse when some portion of the time your opponent is going to spend their mana on something you can't counter. The turtle doesn't really care about that. Or the crab or whatever it is. Yeah, the crab, mirror shell. Like, that's, you know, a giant fatty that can often be a counterspell. But I, I do think that that hurts uh, Spell Pierce appreciably. Do I have any initial impression on the pace of the format? Like I said, I think that most of the archetypes skew aggressive, but they do it in a way that is a little bit more on the like grindy rather than hyper-aggro kind of axis, like blue-white you know, attacking with vehicles involves having a creature to tap to crew that vehicle, meaning you're not attacking with all your creatures, meaning it's like arguably not the most aggressive. White Red wants you to only attack with a single creature, leaving other creatures back, so it's not the most aggressive. Like the Blue Decks have some amount of like value built in. Ninjas can like kind of snowball, but they're also setting themselves back by picking up their creatures. So I I do think that while this set has a lot of cards and mechanics and themes that make blocking difficult it also has a lot of things that the aggro decks are doing that kind of pressure them away like the sets more proactive than aggressive it's less likely that you're going to die on turn five and more likely that you're going to die like i would say it's like below average likelihood that you're going to die on turn five than like an aggressive format but kind of like more average likelihood that you're going to die on turn six or seven because the aggressive decks are like resilient and good at pressuring through things and good at removing blockers or making it difficult to block in some way or whatever so it's going to be hard for you to extend the game really long when your opponent is like you know suiting up their reconfigure guy on extra creatures and forcing you to like trade down to like deal with it or whatever all that stuff pressures toward ending the game but doesn't kill you super fast. So theoretically, that means that there should be a slightly narrower band of game length, but not faster games. I think it's gonna be hard on control decks because the aggressive decks are good at like having an attack they can make and pushing through in some way, but you'll have some amount of time. This Next question is a little outside of my area of expertise, particularly since it's about rares, which I haven't really given any thought but is about the channel lands. Uh, will they be picked as highly as you fear if you like rares that you will want to play and Constructed to not be picked highly, I think is the essence of this question. The channel lands are like a strict upgrade over basic lands. So you will want to prioritize them because they just make your deck better than not having them. They're not... For the most part, super high-impact and limited, maybe. No, most of them are pretty good. I don't think that they will ever really go later than third-ish. Next up, do I think forcing ninjutsu early will be a fruitful strategy? I confidently have no idea. Th- there's no way that I can try to like rank the strength of these archetypes before playing. I wouldn't assign a particularly higher probability to like blue-black or ninjas being better than any other archetype at this point. How good do I think disenchants will be or shatter burst enchantment removal? I think that the cards that can destroy either artifacts or enchantments should be very strong main deckable cards. I'm reserving judgment on cards that destroy only artifacts or only enchantments. I think you might be able to get away with playing a small number of them, but I'm pretty skeptical because they will be dead some portion of the time. And I think having cards that are dead is really, really bad. And like, if you have... Kill an artifact; it's basically never going to do anything against green light. And if you have Kill and enchantment, it's basically never going to do anything against blue red. But I think the cards that kill either, which might just be there's like Fade from Antiquity, there's the rare Channel land. If, if there are any others, I think that those are going to be pretty good. But I personally will generally avoid playing most of the stuff that kills only an artifact or enchantment. Next question: Thoughts on the black red Oni Cult Anvil slash Dragon Spark Reactor? Artifact Pile's ability to use removal to generate creatures to ping the opponent while creating blockers to slow aggro decks. Yes. <laughs> that, that is a thing that you can do with that deck. Uh, it, like if your question is, do I think that the black red deck will function? Yes. If you're asking how good I think the black red deck is relative to other decks, much like with the blue black deck, I have, I'm have i not going to be guessing about the relative strengths of archetypes before playing this set at all. Next question, how many sources do I need to play the 1cccc cards? I'm going to refuse to answer that one because it really just depends on how, like, with a card like that, it depends on how long the game you're playing is and how powerful the effect is. I mean, the the ballpark is going to be, like, 10+, plus, but when you're going for, like, that specific and potentially good that late... Your are like everything matters in terms of like how much card draw you have like how many cards you're going to see per game next up am i back to pessimistic about aura based removal until proven otherwise uh certainly relative to uh many other players for example uh, i know that like i saw i hope this doesn't seem like a call out ari lax i think was saying on twitter that he thought that the white pacifism type card was the best white common and I certainly won't initially draft it that way. I, I don't think that card's unplayable. I'm not going to draft it as the best card, but I'm also not going to treat it as a card that I like never want in my deck. I think that the fact that you can find it with the green one mana uh, commune of spirits matters a lot. I think that the fact that it's an enchantment in play for all of your stuff that counts enchantments in play, especially in white-black, matters a lot. So I, I do think that there are reasons to play The aura based removal, in addition to, you know, possible ways to punish you for doing it, like the flicker and stuff. So I think that they're in an interesting rather than bad space, but I'm generally going to like them a little bit less than like I think that the average player does, but I'm not like totally off them or anything. All right. So... I'm caught up on questions, and I suspect that if I were to wait longer, the questions would get increasingly speculative about things that I simply don't know yet. So I'm going to wrap that up, wrap it up now, and we will get into details with the next podcast, which will be recorded after I've had a chance to play. So I will not be recording the next podcast uh, this coming Wednesday. I will be recording... Thursday or Friday, outside chance Saturday to be determined later whenever I feel like I know enough about an archetype to talk about it. Looking forward to getting into this set. I think there are a lot of cool things going on here, and I think that it's going to be certainly very different from what we've been playing with. So it should be really fun to explore. Thanks for listening. Once more, I'm going to drop a little reminder that I am i happy to take new coaching clients, and if that is appealing to you, again, check out the new benefits on our Patreon, patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, to get a discount on that if you want to get a head start on the format. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back probably in a little bit under a week. Bye, everyone.